0: hi guys Uh, my name is Leslie and I live in Texas Um, I just listened to the open letter episode and I am a straight white lady almost 50 years old and I just wanted to say thank you that's all so thank you keep doing what you're doing I'm gonna keep listening peace out Hi, this is Cody Daigler-Oriens. This is Neil Orion. and oh my God, it's a new episode of Bearded Fruit. Hi, welcome to our podcast. We uh, we do we do a podcast. <laughs> Hi, yeah. everybody. It's been a
1: while since we've actually sat down and done this Yay. together.
0: Hooray for a four day weekend. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but no, we, we took a we took a break because like there's been a lot happening in our life. Um, in the last few months, and we bought a car. Yeah, we bought a car because I have a cool new job that's uh, very uh, stressful and busy. But, but uh, we're we're gonna get back to the podcast because we think it's important. And uh, there's lots of things for us to talk about. Yay! So first, we want to um, say thank you to Leslie from Texas, who you heard at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, Thanks for calling in and leaving us some kind words. And uh, we wanted to say thank you, Leslie from Texas, for listening to us. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Bearded Fruit is really... Nothing but an exercise in vanity without everybody who listens to the podcast. <laughs> I mean, if you weren't listening, then we would just be very arrogantly talking to ourselves. Which is pretty much what we did at the beginning. I mean, pretty much. But but now more more people listen to us. And Yay. we would be nothing without all of you who listen. So, so to Leslie from Texas and all the other folks out there, all of our straight listeners, our queer listeners, our cis listeners, trans listeners, listeners of all races, all sizes, everybody... Anybody, we really love you, and we're very glad that you're listening, and that you're still listening to us, even though we keep taking breaks.
0: Yay. Because <laughs> we do. We've taken a lot of breaks. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Uh, but we're going to try not to. We're going to be back to serious work, because we have some cool things very serious in the pipeline uh, coming up. So we're going to start by talking about a really cool thing that we did um uh, a couple, I guess a week ago, right? I guess it was not very long ago.
0: Yeah, it was last Saturday, last Friday. Last, last Friday Saturday. night.
1: We saw the national tour of Fun Home. Last
0: Friday night. <laughs> Fun that, Home.
1: That is not a song in Fun Home. No. That was, or that was cut in the workshop. I don't um, know. No, we got to, we were, able to, we we're able to see the national tour of Fun Home, uh, which is a musical by Lisa Crone and Janine Tesori. It's a Tony-winning musical based on the graphic novel Fun Home by the amazing illustrator, cartoonist... MacArthur uh, Genius. MacArthur Genius, Alison Bechdel, uh, who a lot of people know because of the Bechdel test. But she's really um, known for... Uh, dykes to watch out for a comic strip series that she did. And then Fun Home. Which is an autobiographical graphic novel about uh, her growing up and her dad, who is gay,
0: yes, maybe committed
1: suicide. But she was also gay and became a A lesbian cartoonist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we originally saw Fun Home on Broadway uh, when it was at the Circle in the Square
0: with the OBC, might I add? Yes,
1: we did. Yeah, the original Broadway cast. And um, I don't know. I don't think that we talked about it at the time. But I was a sobbing mess at the end of the show in New York. Yeah, you were. I cried sitting in my chair. I cried all the way through the curtain call. I cried on the street outside. I probably was still crying in the train on the way home. On the Metro North. Uh, because Fun Home was an, incre- that was an incredibly powerful experience watching the show for the first time in that space with that incredible cast. And um so of course whenever it's on tour we were like we have to see it. So um so for you seeing the show what was it like for you seeing the show a second time? Me or the audience? Yeah, for you. For you. For me. Yeah, for you seeing the show a second time, what was it like for
0: um, you? Um well being a not theater person, the whole time I was thinking, wow, this sure is different because I've never really seen a show more than once with a different cast and a different production. Like that's not, that's not my theater experience. Um, and I know that's, that's just kind of how theater works. Different people do, do the same play differently. Um, so the whole time I was just kind of like, well, that's different. Well, that's different. Well, that's different. Um, and that was a little distracting. Um, but I think that's my own ish, and not anything against the touring production. Um, I will say, some something that hit me really hard when I was when we first saw it. Um, it was also around the same time that I first listened to uh, "Transgender Dysphoria Blues" by Against Me, and. Um, it was it was two moments of experiencing queer art in such a way where i was just like wow this is very specific and not really relevant to my life and how i experience the world and yet i relate so much to it um and that really influenced how i see art and how i see art making um and, and the notion of you can be so specific to yourself that it becomes universal um and i feel like there's some power to that and there's some some beauty to that and i feel like that's a very queer thing to do is to make something so specific and to eliminate the notion of privacy or, um, editing in terms of expressing yourself, um, that feels like a very queer thing to do. So that's what I took away from my first time. And I I felt that the second time I felt, I felt, I, I was reminded of those feelings and looking at the things I've been making lately. Um, there are also adorable children who sang an adorable song. Um, and middle Allison was really great.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I, I think the the first time that I saw the show it was kind of all just emotion for me because it was one it was like just a beautifully produced show and everything about it was kind of perfect. But also like the little the little queer boy in me just was like holy shit. There's is this incredibly queer story and these unapologetically queer characters and it's it's telling exactly what I what I know grappling with my own queer identity was like, and they're singing about it, and it's on Broadway, and people are paying lots of money to see this, and this is amazing. Um, so it was kind of like just all emotion, but so the second time, the, seeing the show again, and I will say about the, the National Touring Company, I think they're really terrific. There are some great performances in the in the touring show, and uh, it's 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 radically different. If, uh, if for anybody who did not get a chance to see the show in New York um, the show in New York was in the round so the audience is literally encircling the stage space and it's a very intimate and very close and on tour they're playing really big houses and it's proscenium which means the audience is just like out there in the house and um, it's, it's a very visually different experience seeing the show and um, but it's it's wonderful it's a great production and, and, and really upholds all the power I think of the work and um, so, like, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was watching the show a second time is um, how, as a queer story, Fun Home is, like, really, really significant and important in terms of queer pieces of, of like, narrative art. You know, like, here's the show where, um, where, like, queer identity is the story and not just the catalyst for some story. So like in this show Allison's queerness it doesn't it doesn't like set some plot in motion. You know, you know it's not like she comes out and then she gets beaten up and you have to deal with that or her family she comes out and her family disowns her and she has to deal with that or you know we it's not like she comes out and now has to fight some social injustice and that's not like none of that it's not some narrative bullet point. It is it's literally it is the story. Queer identity is the story and I think that's kind of it was really revolutionary. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That's all I have to say to that. <laughs> and uh so like another thing that I thought was really incredibly important about Fun Home uh is uh is like changing my major. That's a major that's a major song. I don't think I didn't appreciate it in this way in um on Broadway but I did in this like in the so we live in Hartford and the big touring house is the Bushnell and it's this like cavernously large old-fashioned kind of Broadway house it's big and it's beautiful and it's the kind of thing that you know, like that's that's where Broadway shows go and so here's the song it's middle Allison and she's just had sex with um with Joan the girl that she's into. And she sings this song that's about, it's a woman wanting to have lots of really great sex with another woman. And the song that comes out of that is like a big Broadway ballad. I mean, it's like fucking some enchanted evening from from South Pacific.
0: It's like other references I don't get. You no,
1: know, like so here, here's the song. It's this incredibly big, unabashedly romantic ballad. And it's about lesbian sex. It's about wanting to have lots of sex with Joan. That's what she wants to do again and again and again and have lots of sex because she kind of loves her and and is like feeling and that that's amazing. In other in other musicals like it, like uh, La Cage aux Folles. Which was really revolutionary in the '80s because it depicted a queer couple. They didn't even kiss in the original production; they just like held hands and hugged, and that was the. And they didn't like married forever. That was the extent of the kind of physicalness that they were allowed to show on a Broadway stage in the '80s, and even a show like Falsettos, which um, is a William Finn musical that is is about a man who leaves his wife to bec- to become partners with another man and moves into the AIDS epidemic. Um, they're they're in bed for one song but it's real there's the idea of like real physicalness is not necessarily explored terribly much in the show and it's and its consequences is, is death i mean that's although it's like it's it's not like in a negative way but it's actual it, it's not celebratory in the same kind of way but here in fun home sex is the, like it's the jam you know like she gets to sing the big ballad because of it and i like that's incredibly revolutionary for her a musical. Go off, middle Allison, and <laughs> and get off. And get off. She does indeed. Um and then so and what I came away with a lot in this in the seeing the second time is that very central to the show is is the idea and exploration of recognition that you know ring of keys which is the song that was performed in the Tony, it's like the song everybody knows from the show um it's this moment of i know i know you Mm -hmm. and that's that's the pivotal moment of the show it's a moment of seeing yourself reflected in the world and learning like a language for something that you didn't really understand and that's throughout the whole show it's allison's journey with her father she she as a little kid, she wants to be seen by him as a middle as as middle college age Allison. That's what she wants to be seen. She wants him to recognize her, recognize what's true about her. And then as adult Allison, I think it's interesting that what she's really looking for in the whole story is trying to see if there's a piece of her father in her. Mm. She's concerned that there's a that her father may be in her somehow. And she's trying to like recognize that. She's finding that recognition. And it's it's this search for recognition is incredibly important. It's recognition in the people you love, and recognition in the in the world that you're looking for. And uh, I think I, and I said this to you after. I think the show is in its own way, it's a, it's a it's its own ring of keys moment. You know, the show lets the audience, if you're like a young queer kid as an audience member, you get to look at the show and say, "I know you," and like I have. I, Clearly I have mad love for fun home. But how do you really a, feel about it? <laughs> it's terrible. It's the worst. <laughs> it's worse than Starmites.
0: Um it's worse than Hamilton.
1: Hey. I don't know, I haven't seen Hamilton yet. Mm. Um Hey. But you but my Starmites reference, if anybody laughed at the Starmites reference, you need to email us at beardedfoodpodcast.com dot com because we need to be friends if you know Starmites. Um cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Because it's a super cheesy music. We're the star mites. The mighty star mites. Um, So all that aside, so thanks. So fun. If you get an opportunity to see Fun Home as it roams around the country, do not pass up your opportunity, even if you hate musicals if you're go see this show because go
0: see it if a local company produces yeah because there's a chance that it might be better because it might be more intimate
1: like go see this show and and i hope fun home tours the country for a long time continuing to spread this incredibly universal queer story to places all over this country
0: can somebody who has a home actually produce a a version of fun home in their home and then it's in their living room and then Okay, bye. <laughs> so,
1: um off of this off talking about Fun Home and the notion of like recognition and ring of keys, I wanted to thought it'd be cool that we could talk a bit about representation and why it's so important. Because, you know, watching Fun Home both times, what I was really struck by is how important it was for me as an audience member to see queer people doing stuff. <laughs> to see queer people. Yeah. Like uh. And and how and how how starved I am sometimes for really good representations of queer people in things, mm-hmm. you know. When I see something that has a really well told queer story, I am all the fuck about it. I am I'm I'm in, and it's because positive representation in the world is something that I really like. I really crave as a queer person, and um, it's clearly something that's important to the creators of Fun Home as well. So. Um, Janine Tesori and Lisa Kron won the Tony for best score. And um, I wanna play a little piece of the, her acceptance speech uh, where she talks a little bit about uh, the importance of representation in the creation of Fun Home. So this is, this is uh, Janine Tesori and her Tony acceptance speech.
0: And um, I didn't realize that a career in music was available to women until 1981. I saw the magnificent Linda Twine conduct A Lady in Her Music, Lena Horne. And that was my Ring of Keys moment, which, by the way, is not a song of love. It's a song of identification. Because for girls, you have to see it to be it. And I'm so proud to be standing here with Lisa Crone. We stand on the shoulders of other women who've come before us. Mary Rogers, Tanya Leone, Linda Twine. Thank you to my family.
1: So that again, that was Janine Tesori and her Tony acceptance speech. And the idea of um, you have to see it to be it. Uh, being incredibly important. That without without seeing some version of yourself in the world, it's very difficult to um, to imagine your place in it.
0: Yeah. Am <laughs> I supposed to build upon that? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. oh, it's like how people say that they thought they were the only gay person in the world, but then they realize that they weren't. That's all I got. <laughs> I think she said it pretty well herself, so okay, I don't really right. feel the need to say anything. I'm,
1: I'm just trying not to monopolize the conversation. Monopolize just, all you I'm want. I'm trying
0: not to monopolize the conversation.
1: Because you're good with the jokes, and I'm not. So I'm you know, trying to give you some space. Um and this is something. That, so this is something you brought up to us uh, over over an unshared Oreo bar at, <laughs> at uh, Barnes & Noble. I'm still salty about that. I know, that. I know. We went out for a lovely dinner. And, they uh, don't need to know. And I wouldn't. I refuse to share my dessert at Barnes & Noble.
0: After saying, do you want to share a thing? <laughs> after saying, hey, do you want to share a thing? And I said, yes. And he gets the Oreo bar. And then I'm like, are you actually going to share that? And but he says, d- No. It was small. It was too small to share. And why did you offer in the first place? I don't know. You're the worst. Maybe. Anyway.
1: So we were discussing uh, something that that uh, we've seen on the blogs and such recently. Um, there is. Uh, there's a Tumblr user whose name is In the Sense, who has kind of started this this I don't if want to call it a movement necessarily, but he has what do you like what we call this? Like a fan theory or
0: Um or, I think maybe fan theory, maybe like a, a headcanon. I think headcanon okay. is a good Great.
1: This headcanon about Harry Potter and the character of Snape. He's created this headcanon that suggests that Snape is trans. And specifically, she's a transgender woman, right? Snape is a transgender woman, um, and like it, it's kind of interesting. So, some of the things that this this headcanon theory suggests uh, points in that direction uh, is that um, the Snape's Patronus, which which is a doe, is the same as Lily's. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, but that's and it's but it's not because he had a romantic interest in her, but because he wanted to be a woman like her. Mm-hmm. That's that. Um, there are also, uh, they point to a flashback in the Deathly Hollows where a young Snape is wearing his mother's clothes. Yep. They uh, also say that uh, there's is a scene in the Prisoner of Azkaban where Neville Longbottom's Boggart is Snape, and then Lupin casts a spell to transform it so that Snape is wearing traditionally female clothing. That yeah. That sort
0: of points toward... And there's also um, a moment in Half Blood Prince when Hermione suggests that whoever the Half Blood Prince is is a girl because the handwriting looks more feminine than masculine, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's interesting as well. Yeah. The notion that um, the, the 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 user um, I forget his name uh, in Snapeing the sense. Yeah, yeah. He uh, in reading the article he mentions that. Um, it's, it's this idea of expressing your gender however you can and however whatever safety you can um and that handwriting is one of those ways mm-hmm. it's, a, it's something that's very intimate especially writing in your own book it's something yeah. that's very intimate that only you will see um, I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. And so in Snaping the Census Tumblr user is a 26-year-old trans man who lives in Spain. And uh, this is something that he said about this this theory, this headcanon that Snape is trans. He says, quote, "I can't fathom Snape not being trans. The contextual clues all point to it." Snape is a character who inhabits a fluid ambiguous position for most of the narrative, always between two worlds and often quite literally lurking in the shadows of a room outside looking in. Snape reads as someone in the closet and tragically so end quote
0: yeah and there's when when i first saw the article um i almost didn't click on it because i thought wow this is going to be really gross um but then reading about how it's 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 a transgender person who's actually like talking about it but also there's an entire um a, a whole bunch of the the group who really kind of focus on this um are also trans and identify as trans um, or non-binary. Um, there's something that I feel like that speaks to something that, that 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 speaks to them seeing something in this character that we don't because we're cis. And there's something really interesting about that. This notion of of like not only is it um, I know you, but it's somebody else doesn't know you, mm-hmm. and that we can't know them. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, it's this idea has really. Captured the imagination of a lot of the non binary and trans community, or especially, particularly, who are Harry Potter fans. So much so that there is actually a Trans Snape Week. That was created by this Tumblr user, and he says it's a, it's a week for the community to celebrate Snape and whatever his gender identity may be. Here's another quote from In Snaping the Sense, uh, the trans Tumblr user Trans Snape Week is really just a place to get together and celebrate, explore, and share. It spawned all sorts of fan fiction, fan art, literary analysis. We see ourselves reflected in such a complex, interesting, and polarizing figure, which we don't usually get to do as transgender fans. End quote. Um, and so like I, I, I saw this article in my news feed after you said it like you know you as soon as you because I'm a trendsetter yeah you are and then I, I saw I saw it in a couple places and and when I read it I was like, wow, yeah, this is you know. I really appreciate this. I appreciate that that people are taking incredibly popular works of, of of art and finding a way to see themselves in it, even if there's not there's nothing explicitly written for you. That that like seeking representation that's powerful and and valuable. And um, but in the sharing, in the seeing it, what I kind of saw from some responses to it were the kind of like grumbly, ugh why has everything got to be, why has everything got to be trans? Why can't things just be blah? Why you got to, why, why is this necessary? That kind of response, Mm -hmm. um, that really sort of negative uh, response. And I, 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 I was frustrated by it.
0: Yeah. There's also, um, something I find really interesting. Well, not interesting, I guess, um, JK Rowling herself has kind of created this, um, this, uh, practice where she will insert diversity after the fact um we saw that with Dumbledore when she made Dumbledore come out um as if um as if it was supposed to be some great queer representation but like no you the books were written and we never got to hear Dumbledore himself say and we Mm -hmm. never got to see that and we probably never will like we will never actually see that in literature or film um and there was also like a moment where she tweeted out the name of a Hufflepuff who was Jewish upon being asked on Twitter. And granted, that was just some, some guy just asking. And she was just like, yeah, yeah, here's a response. But like, it, it, it still kind of creates this thing where it's like, um, after the fact, she can say things. So I actually, I kind of hope JK Rowling doesn't comment on it ever. Yeah. I kind of hope that she just lets it be. Um, I hope she never confirms nor denies, um, maybe acknowledge it and be like, Hey, that's great. <laughs> um but not say something about it one way or another because um, i think i think it's really important to let people believe what they want to believe mm-hmm. <laughs> um and let people interpret and see things the way they want to interpret and see things and i
1: i completely understand the frustration that like gay fans had when they're like oh so he's gay but you're not going to mention that at all and what seven seven there's seven books seven, seven books you're Eight in films. seven books you're not gonna mention that he's gay
0: like you know, conveniently at right a con
1: he's not once watching rupaul's drag race he's not this once is, listening what, to yentl this
0: was the 90s I, so yentl yes <laughs> But, I mean, RuPaul, like, like maybe maybe supermodel of the world, he could have maybe. on repeat in The Office.
1: Maybe. But, and I, I, I get that frustration totally, that you, you know, this, it would, yes, it would be wonderful if she had actually included those characters in this world, if uh, she's saying that they are there. But I, but I think it's also commendable, in some small way, for a creator to say, yeah, sure, yeah. That yeah, you can you can read it that way, or I'd like you to read it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do the work when I sat down and wrote the thing, but I'm not going to take away from you the ability to read it that way. I'm not going to be the person who says no, there are no Jews here, no, there are no gays in this world. Like I'm not going to be that creator. I'm going to be like, yeah, sure, they're there. Of course mm-hmm. they're there. They would, of course, they'd be there.
0: No, wizarding blood doesn't run in Jewish veins.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that could be. I can hear Donald Trump. That'd be really that. funny. Yeah, I can get it. And you know, I think it's um it's like it's a it's a really deeply human thing to want to see yourself in the world, in things. And um, you know, I think as like as Janine Tesori said in her in her acceptance speech, you know, seeing yourself in the world is is more than just like a nice thing. it, it it's a means of you being able to shape your idea of what's possible for you you know it's it's vocabulary it's tools when you see yourself in the world represented you sort of can now see a new possibility for you uh Dumbledore being gay even after the fact is a good thing for maybe a kid who's like oh well maybe one day I can be a wizard headmaster at a at a Hogwarts who's also a big
0: old flaming homosexual
1: (laughs) right um and you know as so to To all the grumbly grumbles who were complaining about... Or complain any... I don't think this is true for any time. uh, Some community wants to be seen in something larger i think without without delving directly into it we can talk about the brown and black stripe on the philly pride flag here all you grumbly grumbles who are who complain when someone is con- included or that or is represented in something in that in, that representation is inserted you're really if you grumbly grumble about it you're really missing how lucky you are to be seen in the first place you're forgetting how how very privileged and lucky we are to see ourselves represented in things to begin with and uh, to see yourself in the world. You're very lucky. If you get to be that way, because there are lots of communities who don't get to see themselves reflected mm-hmm. in the world. And um, if justice really matters to any of us, then representation needs to be an important value that we have, because I think representation is more than just, you know, oh, this is includes Oh, we're we're doing diversity with, the, you know,
0: the diversity capital D with the trademark. Yeah.
1: The I mean, I think representation is necessary. It's necessary to making people feel valid. It's necessary to it's necessary for justice representation is necessary for justice because if people can't see themselves reflected in the world it's harder for them to imagine their place in it Mm -hmm. and um um
0: i kind of wanted to do my own little solo episode about the flag oh yeah yeah, but I felt by the time I had collected my thoughts about it it was a little too late. But I was going to talk about aesthetics because <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of the things I saw were like, oh, I'm an artist and I'm a designer and I, I cannot I cannot get behind this design. It's design it's like, girl, like let's talk about grotesque, let's talk about the power, let's talk about John Waters films. If you can watch a John Waters film and you have problems with the aesthetics of the Philly flag, there's something that's clearly not right happening and I will give you a hint it's racism. <laughs>
1: Uh, that was a very strong hint
0: it was yeah it was it was it was um you flip the box upside yeah. down and you see the answer and it yeah. was racism um <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the ball the magic the a magic eight ball. ball magic eight ball here? Racism. magic eight ball why don't i like the philly flag yeah. racism try again <laughs> oh let's try again it said racism again damn so um
1: it's well, always racism the i mean not always Sometimes it's misogyny. (laughs) Sometimes it's class. (laughs) Sometimes it's other things. Colonialism. Sometimes it's intersectional Mm. oppression. Um... So, hopefully this is the start of a new um, stream of episodes that we'll do on the regular. It's probably not. Uh, No, it will be. We're going to work on this. We're going to really do this. So, uh, if you have stuck around with us, we really appreciate you listening, as
0: always. And um, we're recording this on the 4th of July. Send us cute emails and and send us cute voicemails so that you can be on the show, too.
1: I agree. Yes, we really appreciate hearing from uh, people who listen to the show. Uh, It can be positive reinforcement you can also call us out for things we are good about that we will listen to your criticism just don't tell me i'm wrong about the aesthetics thing i'm
0: I'm very right about that um
1: no but we're really open to to we really love to hear from people it uh it it encourages us to keep going and uh it's great to, to know that there are people out there who are listening to our show who don't know us personally that's always that's really magical super nice
0: like um, like i'll get i'll get messages from dudes big oh this is your podcast and i'll be like show me your dick then <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean accurate yeah yep totally accurate anyway <laughs> all right so uh that's it for this week we will see you we will you won't see you because we don't go to your house or anything but we'll this is
0: also an audio format yeah so. we'll so
1: we'll talk at you next week
0: We'll talk in your general direction. Next
1: week. Bye. I love you. You've been listening to Bearded Fruit. Politics and culture through an intersectional queer lens. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode, head over to our website, beardedfruit.com, to get more info about this week's show and to check out some of our other web features, like our weekly Ask a Dad advice column or our Fruit Stands section, which gives you ways to bring the bearded fruit conversation into your community. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit and on Twitter at Bearded Fruit Pod. And if you have some feedback on this week's episode, or questions to ask us, or just want to share an idea for an upcoming episode, give us a call at 860-785-0633. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud. And as always, thanks for listening.